Jimmy, Jimmy Crane, Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Jimmy Crane's an improv nerd. Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Oh, hey everybody, this is Jimmy Corain, and you are listening to another episode of Improv Nerd, and we have two great sponsors for this episode. Our first sponsor is Mick Napier's new book, Behind the Scenes, Improvising Long Form. Now, Mick Napier is the founder of the Annoyance Theater, and he has just released his brand new book, Behind the Scenes, Improvising Long Form. This book talks about the complexities of long form and gives you tips on how to make it more accessible to non-improv audiences. Also, his first book, Improvise, Seen from the Inside Out, was recently re-released with two new chapters. Both books are on sale at the Annoyance Theater in Chicago or online at Amazon.com. They're also sponsored by the Houston Improv Festival, and submissions are now open for the Houston Improv Festival through January 31st. This year, the festival's at a brand-new, state-of-the-art Midtown Arts and Theater Complex in beautiful Houston. In addition to great shows and workshops and after-parties, there'll also be a pub crawl and other fun events at uniquely Houston Destination. I was there last year, and I had a blast. The festival this year is April 28th through May 1st, and submissions are only only $25. To submit the, this year's festival, all you need to do is go to HoustonImprovFestival.com slash submissions. That's HoustonImprovFestival.com slash submissions. And for more information about my award-winning classes and workshops, The Artist Low Comedy, and my improv books, all you need to do is go to my slick new website at JimmyCorain.com. That's JimmyCorain.com. Okay, guess what we got for you? Mm, you're too smart for me. You guessed it. We've got another great episode of Improv Nerd for you today, and it's a great way to start off the new year. Our guest today is Matt Higby. Matt Higby is a well-respected improviser, teacher with a huge following at I.O. Chicago, and he's also a member of the Herald Commission over there, where he is a part of a group that decides what teams get to play and what teams get broken up. We talked to him about that and the hard part uh, of that job. And what's it like to be bounced around and your team broken up when you first start out? He also talks about studying at one school or one particular method of improvisation at a time. Before we get to the episode, I just want to say this is our first episode of the new year. I'm not going to tell you what year it is because I know a lot of people over the years like to binge listen to these. So I want to make sure that this is timeless for you. I don't know how they celebrate New Year's Eve around the world. I just know how they do it here in this country. And that is everybody gets really stupid. And they feel they have to go out, they got to get drunk, and they drink like they're at their cousin's wedding and it's an open bar. Now, even though I don't drink and my wife Lauren doesn't drink, she still wants to go out and celebrate New Year's Eve. And the only reason I've agreed the last five or six times to go out and celebrate New Year's Eve is because... Lauren is much younger than me. There's a 14-year difference, and I don't want her to think like, oh, shit, I married this old guy who's no fun anymore. So I force myself to go to some party that I have no interest in going to, and I end up not having a good time, and I want to leave before midnight. But this year, Lauren didn't want to go out. Now, I mentioned this a couple episodes ago. Lauren's pregnant. Uh, we're going to have a baby in June, so I think she's starting to nest which is a term they use uh, that when women start to get pregnant, they want to they fix up the house, they want to stay around the house, um, which to me is just a good thing because I, I don't like to go out. So this turned out to be the greatest New Year's Eve ever. First of all, our cat Coco 
started throwing up on the carpeting. And for, for some people, they'd be like, oh, I can't stand that. But I love cleaning up uh, cat puke off our carpet. I'm a, very, I'm a huge control freak with our carpet, especially because we just spent like $300 to get the whole place, all the carpets clean. But there's something about the process of cleaning up that puke and then putting the uh, spraying the uh, the stain remover and then letting it sit and then blotting it with the towel and stuff like that. That there's just, just I love the process of it. I, I I love that when when you get that stain out, the sense of accomplishment. And then we just sat on the bed and I had for Christmas I gave her uh, this adult coloring book with uh, coloring pencils and we just colored for about uh, about an hour. I'd say, and then we went to bed at 10 o'clock, which is much earlier than we usually go to bed. And it's the time that I would like to go to bed every night. So it was just like, it was the perfect New Year's Eve for me. I know you may be thinking, Jimmy is really a boring guy in real life. You're absolutely right. Well, here's a guy who's not boring, and he's very articulate about improvisation, and he's a great improviser and a great teacher. Here it is, the Matt Higby episode. Enjoy. Matt, thank you so much. Thanks for now, having I, me. Now, I'm, I'm a little worried about you. You were a little nervous backstage. Uh, yeah, just a little okay, bit. What makes you so nervous? Um, I have a little bit of social anxiety, so um, situations where I just have to talk to people like myself. Um, not like me, but like as myself. This is not going well. So like as a character, you're more comfortable? I guess, um, I, maybe, yeah. Okay. Um, like, uh, I'm great in a room... If I'm uh, if I need to give a speech, I can do that to a large room. I've run tours, like I've done all these things where I'm presenting and in front of people. Um, but put me in a house party, and suddenly you'll find me outside the house party in an alley, like bent over, hyperventilating. All right, is there anything I can do to make you comfortable and get get? I'm so powerful to help you get over <laughs> your social so, anxiety. I mean, part of it is you're so cool. Uh, I am, do you think I'm cool? Because I, I think I'm cool. I've always thought that. Okay, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, but I mean, I. Do you want to know the secret about cool? I heard it's don't be good looking. Uh, <laughs> That's true. You don't have to be. You can be a slob as a dresser. Just, all you have to do is think that you're cool. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. All right. This, this isn't about me. It's about you. You just relaxed me right there. Did I? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, so you discovered theater being cut when you were in high school. You oh, were yeah. cut from varsity soccer. Uh, what was that like when you got cut from varsity soccer? Um, well, it wasn't fun. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, to be fair, it wasn't cut. Like, it wasn't like they were like, thank you, that's enough. Um, they were just like, thank you, we want you to play on the Lester team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, uh, I guess I just was like, oh, man, I spent three years playing, uh, playing soccer, trying to build myself up to play varsity, um, and now I'm, I'm going to lose that. So I, I just decided not to play. And then how did you find theater then? Um, I was a visual artist, so I spent a lot of time in the art room. Um, uh, the end of my junior high school, a lot of my friends decided that we weren't going to be friends anymore. Um, How do you decide that? The, well, in high school terms, it's just scoot around the lunch table so that you can't sit there anymore. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's real fun. Was that a that, hard... I was cut then. Like, okay. That was clear. That was was a that a hard cut. time for you? Um, yeah, uh, woof. Gosh, none of them are going to listen. Uh, yeah, it was. What were you going to say? You were going to 
No, I was I was gonna be kind, and mm -hmm. then I decided to be cool instead. Um, it was it was tough. Um, you, I think in high school you have such a like group of friends, and then to suddenly just not have those friends um, put you kind of on the outskirts a little bit more so. And I already kind of felt that way anyway. So um, I spent a lot of time eating my lunch in the art room and hanging out with my art teacher and the the art people. Um, which was great. We listened to music and painted and talked about real things so much better than hanging out with the jocks. And so did that, that whole kind of being, you know, kind of being lonely and stuff lead you into theater? Um, boo, no, I don't, I, honestly, some of the people in the art classes were like, you should do this. I think you'd be fun. You, you'd have a good time. And I finally just was like, fine, I'll try. And so I tried out and I got, um, I think the first one I tried out for, they cast me as the understudy in Brighton Beach Memoirs. Um, and I don't even remember. I think it was the older brother it was the part. I don't remember. I never even got in. Story of my life. Uh, so I did that, and then it seemed fun, so I tried out again, and then I got cast. Now, I thought something interesting, too. Your, your parents were divorced. They were. When you were four years old. And each of your parents then remarried somebody else yeah. with kids. They did. Um, but you were the only one of the kids that would go back and forth to the house. Yeah. What was that like? Um, I mean, to be f uh, it was the only thing I knew, because uh, I don't really remember anything before my parents got divorced. Like, so I have no real memory of like, what it was like to, be, uh, to have your parents together or to live in one house. Um, so I kind of just was like, that's the way life is, is you bounce. Um, my sister did it for a little while, and then she got tired of it and decided to live just at my mom's house. So, but after that, it was pretty much just me. And every week, I was the visitor uh, in the house. So I had to kind of spend the first two days acclimating myself to like, oh yeah, these are the rules of this house. This is the social dynamic of this house. Um, and then you get into it, and then five days later, you were bounced out to the next next house. Does it help you become more adaptable in life? Oh yeah, certainly, certainly. I think I pick up on. Um, people much easier in situations pretty easily because of that. Like in what way? Oh man, real hippy dippy stuff. Uh, <laughs> I love the hippy dippy. Oh stuff. cool, that's I where I grew You've up. Come to the right place. Okay. Um, yeah, I pick up on people's vibes and like kind of their emotional uh, uh, position. I think. Like, really can easily. you walk into a room and see, feel the energy? Like they've just fought, or yeah. this person's in a bad. This person is in a good mood, or there's. Yeah. And sometimes I recognize that and I'm like, oh, I should help them. And sometimes I'm like, I can use this. <laughs> how does that help you with your, being that perceptive, how does that help you with your improv? Um, on stage, it helps a ton just because you have to pay attention to what your scene partner has got going on. And, and sometimes the, the littlest thing in what they're doing is the biggest gift. And it may not be what they intended, but uh, it's what they gave. And so I like to play off of that versus maybe just the idea that was there so that we guarantee we're creating a new idea in that moment. Um, I think as a teacher, it's even more so because it's like you have to read your room and, and what's there and be able to pick up on, on 20 or somewhere between 16 and 20 people's personal vibes and then that whole room's vibe too. And then you, you'll have to adjust. If they come in with low energy, what do you do? I got to turn up the party. Um, <laughs> I got to I gotta like tap in and, and be the cheerleader and, and get people excited and push fun. And sometimes I've got to be the person who like focuses everyone and calms them down because they are real big and, and like having a lot of fun already. And I got to remind them that there's a little business to be done too. So 
you just kind of, I guess I just read people. So you're so good at, uh, at theater in high school, you get a scholarship. Uh, that's not fair. Okay. <laughs> I loved, I want to be that cool that okay. I was like, I got this given a scholarship. I was actually given a scholarship out of probably pity. Um, I had no intention to go to college. Uh, my theater teacher and another friend encouraged me to do this audition at this competition that we went to. So I prepared a Shakespearean monologue in the 25-minute bus ride to said competition, uh, where I was required to do back-to-back two monologues. And I got up to start doing the Shakespearean monologue and got three lines in and couldn't remember the lines, which makes sense when you've only prepared for it 20 minutes earlier. Um, I wasn't an improviser at the time, so I couldn't just improvise my way through that, that monologue from three, uh, what was it, Mary Wise of Windsor, I think it was. So the, uh, my friend in the front row had to actually prompt me through the rest of that monologue, which was a sizable monologue, to have someone tell you every other line. Were you just yelling, line, line? No, I would just pause, and then she would tell me the line. Okay. And then I would be like, oh, yeah, and then I would deliver that line, and then the next line would be right there, and then it would all be gone again. And then I got done with that one and did a monologue that I wrote, which in classic terms is just not a good idea to do. <laughs> So I did like a bad monologue and then my own monologue. Which was just as... Crushed it. <laughs> crushed now, the second you, monologue. Now, you're, 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 you're joking about it, but did you feel that you crushed it? I legitimately you... crushed the second monologue. Really? Uh, it was like a monologue where you're just like frustrated and telling somebody off. Uh, and I just was frustrated and I put all of that into it. And I think I did pretty well. Um, I also had a friend who was friends with the director. So I think that might have helped me get that partial scholarship yeah and you got it at Skagit Valley College in Washington State right yes yep Skagit Valley uh and then you do that for you take college classes for a while and then you 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 go into the head of the theater department and you give up you drop out and give up your scholarship yeah that's not totally fair I mean that's (laughs) it's close right like uh, well, you're not, making me seem like a really good person. I love this about you, Jimmy. Would you have a hard time seeing that you're a good person? Because uh, well, I, I do. I made bad choices. <laughs> okay. You have a hard time seeing that? No, I've seen that I'm a good person. Oh, do I you, do you look at the, the life the same way? Um, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, um, I, I was actually talking to my wife about this last night. Uh, we were at a wedding. Um, and we were just people watching, and I was like, ah, oh, those shoes don't go with that dress. Um, and, and, I, and she was like, she laughed at me, and I was like, I just have this talent for finding flaws quickly. Uh, and, and she said something, and then she was like, well, you're so good at doing it to yourself. And it's like, yeah, I know. I find my own flaws real fast. Um, so I think that that's just something I'm good at. I can read people. I can usually read myself. I just choose to What are you read reading from me right now? Right now? Yeah. You want to move on. I, I get this sense that like we've talked about this for too long, but we're not talking about what we want to talk about. Was that right? I don't know. Okay. I'm conf- I don't know. Conflicted? I'm totally I'm I'm confused. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I do that to people. Yeah. Um okay, so you you give up the scholarship. I did. Okay. What was your parents' reaction when you gave up the scholarship? Oh man, um, I've got um, I've got good parents uh, who are also um, very knowledgeable about what the world is going to do to you without a college degree. 
Uh, my mom was a nurse and didn't have a college degree. Like, she had her RN and then had to go back to school later on in life um, in her, I think, 30s or 40s. Um, and then ended up getting a master's and doing really well. My dad's a highly educated, talented professional. So I think they both were like, you, you need to finish this. Um, but they were also real supportive of, uh, what I, of me having my own life. How'd you make that decision to... to Oh, it was partially made for me. I wasn't doing well in school. Um, I was spending a lot of time in extracurricular activities. Um, Meaning? Partying. Okay. <laughs> Drugs and drinking? Uh, sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Both of those. Sometimes together. Usually okay. together. Right. Um, uh, so I just decided to not do... I, I, didn't, I didn't feel comfortable being in a program and taking away somebody else's opportunity um, that I wasn't using to its fullest. And I think that's what I said when I gave it back to the director. Um, and he was uh, understanding and also, but disappointed. Um, but I just, was, I just didn't want to take up the chance for someone else to be able to go to school and do something with their life at that point in time. And then you end up moving to Seattle and then to Phoenix. Yep. And then that is where you discovered improv. Uh, it saved me. In what way did improv save you? Um, I was in a new city. Uh, I was trying, I was, I don't know, I was kind of restarting my life a little bit in Phoenix. And, uh, and I took a class with a casting director, which is like one of the best things to do if you're in a new market as an actor. Why? Um, because a casting director calls people in for jobs. So if you take a class with them, they get to see your face, they get to know you a little bit, and you spend some time with them. So it's like a great way to introduce yourself to a, a community. So I did that, and she took us to this hole-in-the-wall theater. Actually, to be fair, it was in a strip mall, um, <laughs> which everything in Phoenix is in a strip mall. So that's, that's what no I surprise. hear. Yeah. Um, and I, I watched this show with them, and it was, I don't know, a 10 or 12 people up on stage wearing jeans and, and tie-dye T-shirts with Converse All-Stars making up jokes. And I was like, I could do that. <laughs> And I did. And, that, and that, that was the oxymoron. That was the oxymoron. And that was short form, right? It was very short form. Um, they, the I've heard short form, but what's very short form? <laughs> well, the director had set it up so that there was like a really consistent type of show that you did. Um, and they played almost the same games every night uh, and sometimes the exact same bits every night. So it was really like fine-tuning a bit over and over again and then letting an audience believe that you were doing it in the moment. It was so cool. So it was kind of, it was almost like acting in a way, right? Yeah, it was kind of like taking short form and turning it into a theatrical piece and then having, having moments in there where you could really do some improvisation, but then having things in there in the show that were like, like guaranteed hits so that your audience was having a good time, which was smart. And then you decide to move to Philly with your girlfriend. I did. And then you move back to Phoenix to become the artistic director at a theater, but it closes due to financial, doesn't get its financing together, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what are you thinking at this point? Shit. <laughs> I just fucked up again. Um, it, was a, uh, it was an interesting time. I, uh, we bounced around, and the intent was always to come to Chicago. Um, but life takes you different places, and to me, that's how I've always lived my life. Is just like, uh, great. Here's the choice. There's two roads. Which one do you? Ch there's, there's no other choice. So take one and see where it leads you, and you can always backtrack if you get lost. So you had been in Phoenix for a while, and you're working as an actor. Yeah. Um, why do you decide to move to Chicago? 
Oh, because I just felt like I kind of reached what I could do in Phoenix for myself as an artist. Um, and I wanted to push myself. And um, at the time, comedy was what I loved and improv was what I loved. And if you're going to push yourself in that art form, this is the place to do it. And L.A. was never on the radar? I visited L.A. for short periods of time in my life and just never really liked L.A. And then you come to Chicago mm -hmm. and you take uh, the I.O. Chicago Summer Intensive. Yeah. And after 5B, you don't make a Herald team. I didn't. How, what was that like? Man, you are going straight to the heart on all these things. I mean, I got warned about that, but I didn't know it was going to be like this. What did they say? Uh, nothing. Uh, okay. Back then, you didn't even get a pleasant email. You just got, like, it was like somebody called you on your phone because we couldn't even text. Um, they just called you, and they were like, hey, hey, man, uh, the team is up on the website. Check it out. And you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Where's a computer? Right. Um, and then you'd have to run and find a computer, and you get on and you like look for the names, and your name's not there. Did you look like a couple times to make sure? Yeah, it wasn't I refreshed a my page okay. probably okay. seventeen times okay. or something. Uh, it wasn't there, uh, and I was disappointed um, and surprised. I would I would think that that's everyone's reaction when they don't see their name on that list. Like, come on, man, I was pretty good. <laughs> I got some laughs. Do you go into the thing like, oh, I can't believe that, because this is where I go. I can't believe that person get, got on the team. Why didn't uh, I get? No. So they made, they took five people from my entire graduating class. And how many people were in the graduating class? Uh, probably 70. Okay. Something like that. Five people. And all of those five people were great performers. So I really looked at that list and I was like, I'm mostly disappointed that I don't get to play with them. And then eventually you do get on a team. Yeah, I got a call like a day later from a coach who was like, hey, we have an open spot on our team, and I'd like you to join. And I was like, oh, let me think about it. Are, are you I'm serious? Kidding. No, okay. I didn't do that. That would have been super cool, yeah. though, right? Right. No, I think I probably freaked out and was like, yes, yes, oh, my God, yes. What would have been cooler to say, let me think about it, or why don't you call my agent? Oh, uh, I didn't have an agent, so okay. that would have been super cool to just give a number. <laughs> And, and, and you end up being on 10 different Herald teams. Yeah, I got bounced around a lot. Um, what was that like for you? Um, boy, ups and downs. I think I've had every kind of team you can want to be on and not want to be on at the same time. Um, I've played on teams that lasted for like a couple months and were just fraught with disaster from the get-go. I've been on teams that were like all really good friends that on paper should have been a great team that just never, that just, ended up going the opposite direction of each other. What happens about those teams? Like, I've been on teams where it's some of the most talented people, for whatever reason, it doesn't gel. What do you think that is? Um, whew. I really think that there's, like, some attitudes that help make you successful in this. I hate to use the word business because I don't get paid. Uh, you get paid as a teacher. I do get paid. Right. I, I should rephrase that because I am lucky enough to be one of the human beings that makes money improvising. Um, I just don't do it when I'm on stage performing. Um, and I think when we have to remember that when we're improvising sometimes that like it's not about the money, so what is it about? Um, and there's, there's some really key attitudes that help you with that. And I think in those teams, when I look back on those teams that didn't work out, those attitudes weren't there. You also said that RGB and Gold Star were two of your favorite teams. Love them. What made them... Two of your favorites? The people. 
I mean, plain and simple, it always, it always comes down to the people. This art is about two things, and I think two things only, really. Um, having fun and connecting with humans. And if you can't do those, you might want to seek another opportunity because those are critical for this art form. And in those two teams, they were really great humans and talented individuals, and we all knew how to have fun with each other. Um, now you're a member of the Herald Commission. I am. And uh, which, if people don't know, you decide what teams stay and what teams go at the I.O. Chicago. Yeah, I don't see it that way. How do you see it? The teams decide whether they stay or they go. I just ultimately have to, we have to let them know what their decision was. Can you explain more yeah. about that? Because yeah. I'm sure you get a lot of... Yeah, I think people see it the way you said it, which right. is like, oh, these people in cloaks in the back of a theater and judge it from on high. Right. Um, and honestly, I see myself in a... I do sit in the back of a theater, mostly because it's super distracting if I sat in the front row <laughs> and watched your show. Especially um, if you're wearing a cloak. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what's the guy in the cloak? I mean, the cloaks are only for the ceremonious right. uh, ritual meetings right. that we have once a month. Right. So I leave it at home. Okay. Um, no, I go to shows with pom-poms. Uh, I really am a cheerleader for the teams that I'm watching. I want, I want a great show. Um, not for, for me to see a great show, but for them to have that experience of what it feels like to have a great show. And that's what we're all striving for. So um, teams that um, get in the way of that, I think it's when they, when I watch a team, it's like, oh, the personnel aren't lining up. Um, uh, so then it's like, what's going on with those people? And I'm trying to read what's going on. And sometimes it's just, for, they're just not, that that's not the right connection of people, the right group of people. And so you got to break it up and try a new new group of people to see if it's going to work out. What's the hardest part of the job for you? That, and it's hard to judge other people's art. It's hard to like, it's hard to know that the people that are on stage, we all love what we're doing. And for some of those people, you may have to let them know that they're not going to be doing it at that theater for however long it's going to be. So what do you tell those people that have been around for a while and they don't, they, they get cut? What do you tell those people when they're like, you know, I want to I I work here. I want to be on a Herald team. Cool. Um, I, tell them, I tell them it happened to me. I got cut from the roster at I.O. Um, my, the team, one of the teams that I was on that just wasn't gelling got cut, and um, I was one of the people that didn't make it back onto the roster. And it hurt real bad in the moment, and I was real angry and frustrated. Uh, and then... I think I just went back to like, this is what I love to do, um, and uh, to me, two of the key, like two of the really important attitudes for, for success in this this art is being willing to be playful and being willing to fail, and then staying determined when you are failing. We talked a little earlier about you know the dip, the ups and downs of students that are you seeing, yeah, and you're, you're seeing right now uh, a trend in fear, yeah. Um, can you explain that? Yeah, people are afraid. I don't. I mean, I, I don't have a conversation with everyone what it's about, but what I see is um, students who expect it to be successful right off the bat, uh, and sometimes aren't willing to fall on their face and then peel themselves back up and then do the same thing, try it again, until it, until they figure out how to not fall, or how to fall with grace. Do you have any idea why you think that that's happening? Um, right now? I think uh, that's a great question. 
I think sometimes it's maybe we just are putting, um, we're putting more pressure on ourselves than what needs to be there. Um, and maybe it's students today are coming into these theaters with a, a, the long-range goal of making a career and, and being on television. Or, um, and when we do that, we forget the art that's happening in the moment. And this art is all about the moment. So if you're plotting and planning for the future when you're in classes, it's going to be really hard to connect with the moment that you're in right now. And you've, you've, you've kind of addressed this at I.O. With, with this program that you created called The Pool. Yeah. So if, if, I, if I'm on a five, you know, I go through I.O. five yeah. levels and I'm on 5B, and I don't get on a Herald team, you've created a program that kind of, uh, if I fall through the cracks, you're, you're, you're kind of taking care of those students to get them ready to, to possibly be on a Herald team. Yeah, the idea of it came out of watching people who I really enjoyed on 5Bs um, personally, where I was like, oh, that person's got something, and I'd, I'd love to see what they're like in a year from now. Um, and then watch them leave and then never see them around the theater again. Uh, so I saw that a lot, and I just was like, what can we do to keep them around? And the town I grew up in had a farm league system for baseball, for Major League Baseball. It was the Bellingham Mariners. And I remember watching like Ken Griffey Jr. play, uh, like when he was like, 18 years old. Uh, and like one day I was throwing the ball against the wall, and I saw Ozzy Smith came up. If you don't know, was a um, like amazing shortstop for the Cardinals in the 80s. Um, but he just was like, "Oh yeah, I used to do that when I was a kid too. Throw the ball against the wall. It made me a better player." And I was like, "I just got talked to by Ozzy Smith." <laughs> uh, and it was like. Um, he was there helping the next generation of baseball players become better. And, and so for me, this, the pool is kind of like a farm league. Like, um, we, owe our, we have a responsibility to help the next generation become better improvisers rather than just push them away. And what kind of issues do you see with them? What, what are the kind of things that you're working on to get them herald ready? Um, I, no issues. Uh, they're all amazing. I mean, we take 10 people every eight weeks into the program and they're all people who show great potential so it's really just like what's that last little thing that's going to get you over the edge to make you a, a successful player in that building they're all really good improvisers and they could play anywhere but what is it that can help keep them in io what usually is that the oh that, uh that it varies i would say a lot of it comes down to um kind of owning your own perspective your own comedic voice um and like trusting you People, getting people to trust their instincts a little bit more. Um, and then also uh, just like real technical, like going back to basics sometimes because I think you get lost in the last parts of the program worrying about forms and, and whether or not you're going to be successful. We sometimes forget like, hey, just listen to that person across from you. Um, say yes to their idea and then move forward having fun together. And so sometimes just reconnecting back to those basics. And so that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to oh, improvise. Great. Yes. Uh, it looked like it surprised you. No, I, okay, I'm excited. Right. Okay, good. It's like Christmas early. You still love improvising? I totally love it, yeah. Okay. I mean, in, in, because you, you've got a wife and a two-year-old daughter now. I do. How do you find the balance? Uh, oh, she's so supportive, both of them, when I say that. My, my, my wife and my kid are super supportive um, uh, of me leaving the house after bedtime to go out and do this. Has your daughter ever come and seen you? No. Uh, she just now started to figure out. Uh, she knows my wife works in a museum because we've been to her museum to see her work. Um, and she never, 
she's visited IO like once or twice maybe, and just recently she started to say um, uh, that daddy, daddy work at shows. <laughs> daddy work shows. It's <laughs> real cute. It sounds cute. Super cute. The other day she's in her crib, she's got like a video monitor, and she's in there like for an hour before bedtime. Daddy work theater, daddy work shows. <laughs> Do you, do you improvise with her? All the time. She's amazing. If I could get, if like, if I wish, this, I have two dreams. Okay. One is a toddler show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I want, I'm serious. I've been talking about this since before my child was born. I want like um, a five person team of all kids between the ages of th- like three and a half, four and five years old. And I want to like work with them for like two years in secret <laughs> where we just work a show and then they, they do a like maybe five o'clock show or six o'clock show and just run it. <laughs> and I want to have it in a theater that's big enough to fill with a bunch of improv students so that they can see what a five-year-old can do <laughs> on stage because they're the purest improvisers there. Why are. would that be important for an improviser to see that? Um, kids, because uh, we forget that, that what this art is about is, is playing with each other. And we can play seriously and slow and play with adult like situations and content, but at the core of all of that is just the simple nature of playing with each other. And no kid, like go to a playground and watch kids play. Preferably go with a child that knows you so that you're not just a creepy adult on the <laughs> playground. But watch kids play and no kid is ever like, man, I gotta really show up on the slides today. <laughs> if I don't show up on the slides, they're not going to want to play with me again. Uh, they're never questioning what that mud cake is. It's just like, oh yeah, Tommy's got a mud cake. It's a mud cake. Let's stick twigs in it. Um, and I think sometimes we get in our own way, and the kids just play, and they're fun, and they're really good. What's your second dream? Oh, uh, my second dream would be uh, to uh, run a workshop with my daughter on games, on how to play like. Herald games inside of a, a, a long form piece. Uh, the other day, she played a game with a helicopter, and it was just like I was watching it, and I was in the midst of teaching an advanced Herald class where the group was struggling with games, and she was she figured out the nature of a game and then heightened it naturally on her own. And I was like, oh man, if I could just get you to teach improvisers how to do that, this would all work out for everyone. So you'd like to co-teach it with her. Yeah, I think she'd be really good. Mm-hmm. She gives good feedback. Um, it's concise. Sometimes Some it's hard say, to understand. Right? Some would say it's a little cryptic. Yeah, 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 yeah. But aren't all great improv teachers like that? You're right. You're right. Uh, the, all the good ones I've worked with right. have always been like, what the fuck is he talking right. about? Uh, or she. I yeah. Mean, yeah. All right, so we're, we're going to improvise. Um, so uh, uh, we're going to do a mono scene. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Now, just tell me what your definition of a mono scene is. Oh, just one, one scene. scene. Okay. Yeah, ongoing, never okay. stop, never stops okay. until the lights go away. Okay. Um, and we're going to take a suggestion. What okay. would you like for a suggestion? I'm a huge fan. Um, I'm okay. I'm good with just anything at all because it opens it up to whatever's creative on the audience's mind. Since this is a, I'm assuming an improv savvy audience. Yes, we're hoping. I would love to like maybe ask for um, an improv suggestion that they've always wanted to play with. Okay. Right, because I feel like sometimes we just get those traditional like weirdo words mm-hmm. rather than like something that they've had in their mind. Like, oh, this is this is a juicy improv 
nugget that I want to throw out there. All right. So a suggestion that they would they would they would like to get yeah. basically. So could we get a suggestion that you would like to get as an improviser? Okay. Someone say boogie board? <laughs> I swear I heard boogie board. I, I heard boogie board too. Great, I love it. Okay. That's the one that's all the words that were thrown out. Someone okay. else threw out empathy and I heard boogie board. Okay, so now you hear boogie board. Yeah. Okay, so how do you break it down? Oh man, the first thing I I could be honest, the first thing I thought of was just like, cool, man. Um, like too cool, like I just a character, like hey man. Cool. Yeah, uh, I have a ridiculous brain, and I, I hate to say it. so. Like when I start breaking down a suggestion, I usually go for like four things. Um, like what's a sound that it reminds me of? So the first sound that it reminded me of was just like whoa, <laughs> that's it. And that will lead into a character. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I usually like a physicality, like something physical that it reminds me of. So you heard boogie board. What's the physicality? Um, to me, it reminded me of waves, but I hate whooshing. So I would probably just use the idea of like just the like physicality of rolling over in some way, maybe. Um, I don't to know. start the scene, or is it? I don't you don't know. know, but that's a start. You use yeah. it more as a starting off. Point. Yeah, so it's like in my brain, I just come up with like a few things, and then whatever I start, I don't know what my body does first is what I usually start with. Okay, and what were the three and four, three? And oh, four? Um, what did I, I gave you the the sound, sound and, and the, the physicality. physicality. Um, I usually think of like um, like a, a phrase that would go along with it, right? So um, with boogie board, it may just be like. Uh, it, for some reason, it's all surfing oriented right now. Although I think California, like California, comes to mind, so I may think of some, like a phrase of California might come out. Mm-hmm. Um, going to the beach, maybe just something like that. Um, and then, and the, what will you use use that to inspire you? I may literally just say that to you right at the mm-hmm. top. Okay. I could just say like, "Hey, I'm going to the beach," or "You want to go to the beach?" I may just start with something like that. That's okay. simple. Um, uh, and then the last one is usually like. If I have time, and if I've had enough coffee, like thematically, what comes to what comes to my mind with boogie boards? So, like that one, I think of like um, really have a connection with the o- the connection between the land and the ocean, and how dependent we are on our mm-hmm. environment. So let me ask you. Wow, that's deep. Dave, it is very deep. <laughs> uh, and that's like out. that's totally that. Th- th- it's a great explanation, but it's put me a little in my head. Oh man, so, I told you I'm super heady, right? No, I love it. I love okay. it. I love it. So. When I heard like that, I'm like, yeah, man. You know, I'm thinking about something like that. You know, like that. Yeah. That would be one choice, yeah. and then the other choice I don't have. Great. Um, I'm cool with that. Uh, I always, I think it comes from short form. Like, I remember when I would get suggestions in short form, it was like Minority Report, just like this array of ideas would come up of like bits and things I could do, and it was just like, that's cool. This is cool. No to those. Love this one. Got that one. Here's five. No. Yes. Got it. Two. One. Go. Okay. Here's the scene. But uh, what I'm saying to myself is because I have that. Hey, man, I'm going to do yeah. that. I feel like I'm cheating. Why? I just I because we we're, we're talking about it before we're doing it. Well, you started that. We could have just. <laughs> I mean, we could have taken the suggestion and just done the scene and then broke it down later, but. You wanted to know the thought process. I may not do any of those. Okay. Or I may let you start. What do you want to do? I feel like I'm going to pounce right now. <laughs> Should we take a new suggestion? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally Maybe fine that, with that. that'll help. I don't want you to be in your head at the top of this. Oh, well, it's too late. Okay. Okay. Can we get another suggestion? Channel. I don't know. I heard something with chains or something like that. Channel. Channel. Close enough. Channel. Okay. Great. Great. Another, Let's do it. Love it. it. 
Can't believe we're missing the game for this. No, I can't either, Murray. You okay, man? I'm fine, man. You sure? Because you... Okay. I'll be quiet. I put the tickets somewhere, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's why we're missing the game. I know. Well, where, just go back to what you were... Okay. Murray. Hey, I can be quiet, I'm trying Theodore. to, like, hear my spirit guy tell me where they are. It'd be helpful if your spirit guide was something that could listen really well. Nice. There they are, man. There they are. They were in my breast pocket. That's man. a good place to put them, close yeah. to the heart. Yeah. My fourth chakra. <laughs> right on. Yeah. You know I don't believe in any of that, right? I know, man. Okay, I just hey, want to make hey, sure. Hey, man, I don't judge anymore. No. Hey, and I think it's great for you. Thanks, man. I don't drink, you don't judge. We've both given up our vices. Yeah. <laughs> Murray, man. What up? Ever since, like, uh, you and Carol are on the outs, yeah. I'm seeing, like, a total dark cloud. Is it good or is it bad? Like, is dark, I don't know what dark means in Murray, your chakra Murray, world. Murray, come on. It's bad. It's bad? It's bad, man. Nah. We can't go out there in the game if we're going to look and get some women, right? If you got this dark cloud going on. All right, what, do you want to cleanse me or something? You need to get some sage? You want I to do, man. Me? I'm glad you're open to that. I'm, I'm yeah. totally glad, man, because I thought... You'd be like, hey, man, no, I don't want to do it. If it's going to get me to this game, Theodore, I want to go. Give me the sage, man. Okay, man. I'm going to put these in my back pocket. Cool, cool. (laughs) Listen to what my spirit guide is saying. What is your spirit guide? What animal is it? Hey, man, it's a tiger. Nice. Yeah. Tigers. Yeah. They lost last night. (laughs) Just so you know. Okay, cool, man. You know what yours is? Do you get to choose mine? Yeah. Whoa, that's so cool. Well, I'm not choosing it. I'm choosing it through my spirit guide. All right. Uh, wait, let me think of what I would want it to sure. be, and then you go, tell me what go, it is. Go, Murray, go. I like to know if I'm going to be disappointed. Okay. <laughs> let me know, yeah, Murray. I, go let for me it. Know. Give it to me. It's a bear. Oh, so close. Yeah. Mine was a salmon. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense, though. Makes sense that my actual spirit animal would eat my wanted one. All right, put your arms up. Uh, <coughs> don't inhale, man. Yo, could have told me that before. I see smoke, I inhale. Okay, man. Mm. All right, now smudge me just a little, because I smudged you, man. I don't want the bad juge coming back this Yo, way. I'll get rid of my juge. Yeah. It's juge, Murray. Yeah. Juge is like a, is like something when you have a beef sandwich. Jus? You say a jus. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that stuff. Dip a sandwich in that. We should go get beefs. Let's go get beefs. <laughs> nope. Are you serious? Okay. Are you fucking serious, I am Murray? a bear. I j- you are a lion. Let's eat meat. I just smudged you, man. You put that stuff in you, and you don't know what's going to happen. You want to smudge me again? Yeah, I got to. All right, smudge me. <laughs> This is a technique I learned in Sedona. Ah, I love that place. Yeah, man. Vortex. (laughs) That'd be a great baseball team name. Vortex? Yeah, the Vortex. Okay, all right. Okay. Hmm. All you have to do is 
Right just your face? Just my face, man. Just my face. But before you do it, you have to say one thing that you love about me. <laughs> do I have to say the word? <laughs> yes. I love that you're always there for me. <laughs> I, you're a good friend. Not many people are going to open their door at 4.30 in the morning when their loser friend knocks on the door because his long-term girlfriend left him again. You open the door. You don't even ask questions. You just bring me and give me sheets and a pillow and stick me on the couch. I love that about you. Thanks, Murray. God, son of a gun, that's hot. Sorry. Well, the rug will no longer have juge. <laughs> Murray, you still got the dark cloud. It didn't work. You're just a negative guy. I am not. Yes, you are. <laughs> um, it's not negativity, it's realism. Look, I mean, look at the world around you. Think it's a great world out there right yes, now? Yes, it's a beautiful world, Murray. It's not a group. Yes. Name three things that are beautiful. The sky. Okay, that's not a part of the world. That's an illusion. <laughs> the ocean. The oceans are polluted. They're dying. There's an entire segment of the of the ocean that is dead. <laughs> Puppies. Damn you. <laughs> you know I love a puppy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, puppies. God, they're so cute. Yeah, they are, Murray. <laughs> little dogs. Why would a little dog make so much joy in my... That's what I need. I need a little dog. Yeah. But you can't go to a pet store, man. Nope. Like with that book... Dark cloud. Well, what am I supposed to do to get rid of it? I don't know, Murray. I'm trying to figure it out. Okay. Just give me a second. What do you have over you? If I have a dark cloud, what's your thing? I mean, I don't read that part of... I'm not... I don't... I can't. (laughs) I just see you. Pure love is what you see. Yeah. How do I get it? I'm listening. Murray? My guide is telling me. Yeah? He's talking to your animal. My bear? Your bear. He's saying, be kind to that bear. Hug that bear. Hugging a bear is a bad idea. (laughs) Murray? It's like... Murray. Rule number one, Murray, Murray, don't Murray. hug the Murray, bears. Murray, 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 the black cloud is getting, it's, it's, if it was all right, 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 I'll hug a bear, I'll hug okay. a bear. It's a metaphor, Murray. Well, thank God, because I don't Do want to hug who a real the bear. bear. Is? Do you know who the bear is? The bear is me. Yes. You want me to hug myself? Yes, I do. Fine, no, I'll hug myself. It's a metaphor, I'm Murray. hugging myself. Oh, okay. God, this feels good. Doesn't it, Murray? Does it? Come on. It does. It does. I just needed a moment. I know. I'm here for you. I know. Carol called me. 
uh, somebody who reads people really well. Yes. So I was like, oh, cool, that's relatable. I know where this guy's coming from. He's just a hippy dippy. I know this person. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that doesn't make for the most interesting characters to play. Mm -hmm. Like people you know, people you can connect with. Make the easy choice and then have fun with it. I thought it was a good, fun choice. Would you have done anything differently? In that scene? Yes. Um, yeah, uh, man, differently? Sure. I don't know that I defined a whole lot early on for myself inside of there. I kind of was just like taking what you said and embodying it. Right. So I think I probably could have made some maybe some stronger choices at the top of the scene. Yeah, I think we could have had more specifics, do you yeah. think? You know, just to fuel the fire a little. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, because I push my students to do that a lot, and then I don't actually do it on stage when I do it. Um, I kind of like to play a little more subtle until I figure out, like, oh, uh, this is the weight of this scene between the two of us, uh, and I know what's Can going on. Can you explain what the weight your definition of the weight of the scene is? Uh, to me, it's like the, the gravity of the circumstance. Like, um, uh, what is it, to, what's the feeling between these two people? Is, is there like, um, is it uh, circumstance or significance, I think is maybe the two words that come to mind most for that. Like, uh, what, what between the two of us is, what's the quality of that relationship, I guess? Like the, um, or what we're dealing with at the moment. For this scene, it was like, um, cool. It seemed like two friends. The, there was something heavier than the baseball tickets between us, mm -hmm. I guess. And that's what I picked up on. So then it was like figuring out, playing with that. Like, do I can I push that harder to, until it becomes something tangible? And what was that thing? And again, I felt like the, the choice of Carol and getting back to Carol might have been more of a... I like that. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. Should, because I always feel like when I tell students, make it about each other. Um, yeah, but I think it was something for that. It was about, I mean, we ultimately we found that later, like maybe a few lines later when we figured out that it was like, you, you forced me to say what I loved about you, mm -hmm. um, which I like that. It's so fun. Uh, even though I played against it, right? Um, but it, um, which was perfect for your character. Yeah, well, I had to be true to that character. Right. He didn't seem like the kind of guy who says he loves things really right. easily. Um, but I still had to honor what you wanted, so I just, put that conflict internally and let it fester a little bit. Which I think is always an interesting choice. You agreed to it, but the character was, still had some reservations. Yeah, yeah. Unless you tell me to do something that is like horribly wrong, like uh, if your character is like jump in the fire or stab me and I'm like, I'm never gonna do those things, so why would I do it? I'll say no to you and then just never do it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I'll say no to my, like I'll be like, I don't wanna do this, but still do it. Because that's when the fun things happen. Because mm -hmm. the whole smudge thing, you're the one who threw out smudging or something. I'm like, okay, I had no idea we were going to smudge, but that would be in keeping with my character that he would smudge. Yeah, oh, we need to cleanse my aura or yes. something like yeah. that. Yeah, I also wasn't sure what you wanted from the dark cloud, like what that meant, if it was like, uh, if I was just gloomy or if you were actually like a, a reader of auras. So I guess I could have like pinpointed that down a little bit better. I, I probably could have defined it if I really, I don't know if this guy really believed it or he was, I, I could have been more clear on like, I, I, like I said, I could have been more committed to, to that. I got the way. sense he was like one of those people who like um, maybe has like befriended someone who's really into this and is like secondhand into yes, it. Yes, yes. He's like, 
He's like, like becoming, right. he's becoming a chakra reader. Right, and he believes that he's really hearing voices yeah. and he's not. Yeah, you know? he really wants to though. Right. Yeah, I know those people. Right, that's a sign. Yeah. There was salt on the table, that's a sign. Yep. He's like going on a Wikipedia page, like yeah. a wiki for like what are signs of things that happen. Right. And memory, he's got flashcards that he memorizes it. Yes. Okay, we're going to take uh, questions uh, in, uh, from the audience. Great, I love okay, it. Okay, great. If, Sam, if you could turn the lights up. Uh, so, a uh, question for Matt or what we just did? Yeah, Tom. Hey, Tom. Have you been in one of my classes? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Does being rough to students like Dell was? I mean, Dell had a reputation of terrorizing students. Does that still work today? I don't terrorize in the sense of the lore of Dell. I mean, I've heard some stories about Dell where I'm like, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> I can't do that in today's marketplace. And I'm not Dell, right? Like, it's not my theater, so I don't have that power um, or what, mystique. What is your teaching style? Oh, I'm, a, I'm assertive. Um, I think uh, there's a lot of students out there that have probably been in my classes or in the pool. So, um, yeah, they're all smiling with this grin of like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I can definitely uh, push you. I think I, um, my background in sports comes into the way that I teach and coach a lot is like um, sometimes you need someone to kick you in the booty to like force you to do things in a new way. And so I do think that that should be a part of what we do um, if we just tell people that they're great and wonderful all the time, we would be lying to them. Right? And that doesn't help an artist grow. An artist needs to know when, when their work is falling short and when it's, when it's achieving the most it can. And sometimes uh, the difference is you can't just tell someone that what they're doing is falling short. You have to tell them that it's falling short and then give them the help, the workaround to make it, to take it to the next level. And I think Sometimes we miss that element, in, uh, in, especially in theater directors. Like, okay, just make it funny, or this didn't work without any sort of... Yeah, I had a director one time who was just vicious, who would just be like, no, that's terrible, do it again. You're like, what's terrible? <laughs> that is not specific enough for me. Um, so it's like being specific about what you see that's not working, and then, and then providing them the context of how to get around it. Like, great. Uh, that didn't work when you uh, you were playing that character, but the character didn't seem real. Let's go back. Um, what was it about the character that was interesting? Great. Let's let's really ground that and make that real and try that moment again. And I think even though we're improvising, there's a nature of repetition that can help us identify the choice and the skill. And sometimes that's what we need in teaching is just like call people out on their stuff and then give them the opportunity to do it again and grow. Great. Another question? Yeah, right over here. Oh, these lights create a wonderful shield. Um, but like, like offstage though. Oh, offstage. Wow. I didn't. Um, I think. Would you do like a show and then just run backstage and say, don't bother me? Yeah, I have a hard time. Um, th this community has been the biggest challenge to me, I think, in that way. Um, improv is very much about, it's a, big community, right? It's a lot of like hangouts and getting to know each other Hanging outside. Hanging out at bars and yeah. late night parties. And yeah, house parties and stuff like that. And to me, those are the most uncomfortable situations. So I really 
I tend to like show up and have 35 second conversations with 400 people and then leave. Um, just like, oh, cool, how are you? Great, that's awesome. I am a very supportive scene partner in social situations. Have you ever tried to get help for the social awkwardness? Um, no, well, yeah, that, what, that's what got me out of my college days. Um, I think I sought it in partying a little bit. I think that was probably what got me into it. Um, but in this community, I think ultimately I just decided like show up and do good work and then hopefully that will be enough for people to want to play with you. Um, and then the rest of it, I, I'm friendly and I'm, I hope, uh, inviting to talk to people. I, and I, I just try to be kind. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I also, maybe two years ago, really made a cho conscious choice in this art form to stop focusing on getting, because uh, I feel like in comedy we focus a lot on what we get like we get laughs, um, uh, we get jobs and all of that stuff, and I really s just switched it to what do I give. Um, How did you do that? Because I'm still working on that one. It was a real conscious choice, actually. Um, was there something that you like had an epiphany, or you did a show, or you? I was, was on a really, I was on a team with really great. It was the end of Gold Star, actually, and it was just I was in a group with really talented people, and I would walk away from shows disappointed and upset and not having fun and I it just took a, like a few months of those kind of shows and being like remembering Susan Messing's classic phrase of if you're not having fun you're the asshole and I was like great I'm the asshole why why am I the asshole and then just breaking it down and it was really like I was so focused on what I was getting from those shows, I wasn't focusing on what I was just giving to those shows. Like, I'm getting laughs, I'm doing a good show, I'm getting yeah. a job off this. I'm getting, a, I'm getting scenes, I'm getting to do the type of work I wanna do versus like, cool, uh, I, can't re I can't count on nine other people to give me what I want and need, but I can certainly give to them what I think, what, what I want to play with or what, um, what's important to them. I can give those things to them and then Hopefully, in return, I'll always get back from them. And what changed when you made that decision, that conscious choice? Um, I started to do a lot more projects that were not about me and were about other people. And I ultimately, that gave me a lot more opportunity inside this community, actually. Um, the pool came out of that idea of just um, giving to others versus um, focusing on what I get. Um, and from that, I've met so many wonderful, amazing performers. Um, I've had the opportunity to teach in summer intensive because of the work that I do as a teacher and getting to meet people from around the world that love this art. So it's like really just what, what do you give? What can you give back? Uh, what can you give out? And then know that in this community when you give, it tends to come back to you. It may not be immediate, but it'll happen. Great, we're gonna take another question right here. Uh, my comedic voice is certainly, most certainly, self-deprecation. Uh, like playing the lovable loser or the like, uh, the focal point of the bad side of things. Sometimes, um, uh, I think what it comes down to is like, if you get into this art and you have any level of, uh, if you're good at it, even a little bit, like at the top, if you're successful, it's probably because you have a really good taste in comedy 
and what's fun. And you, you already have that voice. Sometimes we start to doubt it and water it down by all the teachers and the things out there. So it's like going back to like, what do you find interesting um, as an artist? What, what for you is, are those things in life where you're like, oh, that's fun. That's not even just fun, but that's something that piques my interest. That's something that, um, that I'm passionate about. And then figuring out how to make those things fu funny for other people or have fun with that so other people can have fun with it. To me, that's where your comedic voice comes from is like um, from your heart, what's, what's what are you passionate about? What are the things that you get jazzed about? And then how do you bring that on stage and have fun with it? Great, another question right here. Uh, yeah, so you talked about how there's, you know, you're not getting paid to perform necessarily. Hell there's, yeah. there's just not a ton of money in improv. It's not, that's not why we do it, that's not why people do it. Yeah. Um, do you think that helps or hurts sometimes? And then do you see that changing? No. Uh, all around. Uh, does it help it that we don't get paid? Eh, I think if we got paid, it would change things a lot. I think you now would be a product. And if you look at, the, like, if you're around long enough, you can attest to this probably, Jimmy. Like, um, I've watched so many people be amazing artists here in Chicago and then move to L.A. to sell that product. And then you watch them, you go see them in a show, and you're like, wow, you're still, like, you're like an artist that you were, like, a year before you left. Right, like you just stop developing when you become a product, um, and uh, Chicago is so much about like the art and pushing the art forward and being an artist, and you get opportunities, but then you go to like L.A. or New York, and it's really product based. And if you watch the improv, and no slander to anyone listening on the podcast from L.A. or New York, they're amazing cities and they have their own unique styles, but they're different than it is in Chicago. Um, so I think if we became a product here, that would change things a little bit. It would also change the number of people who get to play uh, and how frequently. And I think it would change the level of art. Um, paying improvisers would be a huge amount of money, right? And so when there's a huge amount of money, you have to guarantee that it's going to be a successful commodity on stage. And that doesn't translate to the best like art, right? The best art isn't always the one that makes the most money. I mean, watch network television. <laughs> it's like uh, the stuff that, like Netflix is doing great stuff and like places like that where it's like they go and find artists and give them the opportunity to do the stuff that they really want to do. That's where the fun stuff comes from rather than like, oh, we've got we've to really play to middle America. So what would be your thing? What would you like <sighs> Socialism. <to do? laughs> but in terms, of your, in terms of your art... Uh, what, what is your dream at this point? You've been doing it a long time. I have. This is like almost, I think I'm at 18 years. I was talking to a good friend of mine right before this. Um, uh, I think right now I'm in a pretty nice place. I get to teach, I get to help people, and I get to play in a, a wonderful city and a beautiful building. Um, so I, I kind of I like where I'm at. One day I would love to maybe have my own place. But I don't want to own my own place, so I just want someone to give it to me. Um, and then you'd know. like to like teach and direct and. Um, yeah, it's changing right now. I'm, I I have a new family, and um, that priority is changing my life. And um, I have some other things on the table that I don't know what the future holds. I just have today, and that's enough. Um, I, I'd love to do more. I'd love to produce more work. I spend a lot of time teaching. I'd love to maybe like actually make some 
some of my own work. That you're in or direct? direct? I don't know. Okay. I really love directing. I really love teaching. Those are kind of like, I think, the two places I'm best and, and most comfortable. Um, I love being on stage, but, uh, but yeah, I think I'd love to create some stuff. We've got to wrap this up. This oh, is no. just, yes, it is. How is your social anxiety now? I'm s you got me, I'm pretty relaxed. Okay. Now, will you be wound up from this? No. Or will you just like dash out? I'm going to go outside in the alley and like hyperventilate and then get. <laughs> okay. Because there's a back door. We could let you out the back door so you don't have to see anybody I'm when okay. you leave. I'm okay. Right. Okay. Great. It just know that if like, if I see you after the show and I'm like, oh, thank, thank you very much. Thank you. That's very kind. As I shrink into myself, okay. that's the... So I'm seeing, like, the most alive version of you. No, you got to come to one of my classes. Okay. <laughs> All right. I will take you up on that. Um, we end each podcast with the same question. Okay. What piece of advice, one piece of advice, would you give an improviser starting out today? Turn, <laughs> turn your phone off in a show. Okay. <laughs> Whoever that was, thank you so that much. That was my wife, Laura. Oh, perfect. <laughs> you said she wasn't like a part of this. That's good comedic she's timing. Totally, right she's totally. Well, she, you know, she, I'll be honest with you. She didn't have that until we started dating and married. And she's real. Her timing is excellent. Yeah. My wife hates this stuff. Um, hates improv? Yeah. I had to teach her in a corporate setting for a while. She just hated it. It was great. Well, but she, we got married after that, so right. I must have done something okay. But she, she, she won't go to shows? and No, she goes to the big stuff. Like She's like, if it's really important, I'll show up. Right. But otherwise, no. She's like, what, is she, what part of it? Just the, the whole... Um, she respects the art. Okay. Um, she doesn't like the bits. <laughs> that might be a direct quote. Okay. Uh, she's going to hear this and hate me for okay. saying it. Oh, man. She's amazing, though. She's wonderful, and I love her to death. Okay, great. And the uh, microphone my... picked all of that up. Just <laughs> so, so you know, one piece of advice you'd give an improviser starting today. Slow down. Slow down and taste your food. Um, I feel like we're all, uh, right now, a lot of people are in a rush to get done, right, and to get through it, um, uh, meaning, like, their classes and to be on stage performing. But um, this art takes time to really get good at. I, I think when I first moved here, I already came with, I don't know, seven years of experience, and people were like, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to be here seven years before you get any opportunities, and I was like, no way. I can do it faster, and it took seven years. Uh, and I still don't feel like I'm great at it. Um, and I feel like we all wanna be awesome at it when we get done with a year and a half training program, and so we're doing three training programs at the same time, like, do one, live life, go out and do other things besides improv meet people that aren't improvisers. You'll need audience members for your shows. Why is it important to do one class or one theater at a time? Uh, they're different. They're bad. I mean, they all play off of the same core principles, but they have very different styles. And it's important to, like, under, not necessarily understand the style, because I don't know that you get to that point right away anyways, but to, like, Im immerse yourself in that that theory of improv, um, uh, become a part of it, and then, and then go do the next one, and then reconcile those two things together. Because if you're doing them all at the same time, a lot of times they're telling you vastly different things, and I feel like that just, now you've got three voices in your head, and it's really hard to play with a lot of voices in your head. So like, have one voice in your head, um, see what happens with it, then go get the next one, and, and pick what you like from teachers and from 
and from theaters and then put it together and then for the love of God, be your own artist. Um, use your art to define the community and don't let this community define your art, um, but find your place in the community where your art fits. Because um, if you're not being true to who you are as an artist, you're never gonna be successful. Matt Higby, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. And there you have it, another episode of Improv Nerd is in the can, and I want to thank our guest, Matt Higby. And I loved it, I loved improvising with him, and I loved it when he uh, gave me that compliment about, oh, you're a good improviser. Because when I started this podcast four years ago, I did not feel that way. And I used to stall a lot uh, with the interviews to get to the improv because I was terrified of doing it. Thank God that has changed. Uh, also, I want to thank uh, Stage 773. They're the, our home base here. They're the people that treat us so well, like rock stars, actually. Also, my producer, Dan Schiffmacher. He's the one who makes me sound so slick and so professional. If it wasn't for Dan, you wouldn't be hearing my voice right now. If you want more information about me, Jimmy Corain, and my award-winning improv workshops and classes here in Chicago, The Artist Slow Comedy, or to sign up for my improv newsletter, uh, which each week I'll send out a brand-new improv nerd blog, which will help you become a better improviser and a better person, well, the better person part is up to you. Just go to my new web, slick new website at jimmycorain.com. Also, we are on social media, Facebook, like our Improv Nerd fan page. Follow us on Twitter, Improv underscore nerd. And then go to our YouTube channel. Please, please, I'm begging you. Dan does such a great job. You see great clips from our live show. And that's, that's Improv Nerd Podcast at YouTube. Also, we are so grateful to be part of this podcast collective out of Los Angeles, California. And that is called Feral Audio. They have su- some of the most unique, innovative, and hilarious podcasts out there. People like Dan Harmon, Todd Berry, Chelsea Peretti, and you can find them all at feralaudio.com. I'd also like to thank our sponsors today, the Houston Improv Festival. Go to houstonimprovfestival.com slash submissions to submit your group to this wonderful uh, improv festival. I was there and I loved it. Also, check out Mick Napier's new book. I read it. I loved it. Behind the Scenes, Improvising Long Form. You can get it at the Annoyance Theater in Chicago or online at Amazon.com. And of course, I want to thank you for listening. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. Let's say uh, Seinfeld was on an island, yeah. and he was blowing Boris Karloff. What would, it, what would that be like? <laughs> it might go something like this. Oh, Mr. Karloff, I loved you and Frankenstein, and I love giving you a blowjob. Why, Mr. Seinfeld, I'd love having you 